When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game with me, Russell Guyver, and my co-host, Peter Marsh. Hey, Russ. How you doing? Very well, thank you. recovered you. from the week, from, the, from last week? I don't remember last week. Did something happen? I was too too uh, un- memory conscious, shall we say. I don't know what happened. Uh, yes, I have, yeah. And uh, we also have with us uh, a gentleman known as the gent, Raymond Wright, who wasn't in Amsterdam, but he's going to give his reflections, I'm sure, on what happened last week as well from a footballing point of view. Hello, Raymond. Welcome back. Hi, Russell. And, uh, hi, Peter. Great to have you hey, with Raymond. us. Um, you did have the pleasure of going to the Sheffield United game as well, which we will uh, we'll have to uh, talk about later on. Neither Peter nor I made it down there. I had um, other commitments and uh, Peter was also, I think, busy with Amsterdam still, weren't he? I was in Brussels at the weekend. Oh, Brussels. Yeah, that's it. You moved on to Brussels. Yeah. Mm. Purely for the uh, scenery, of course. Nothing to do with beers. Yeah. Marvellous. Yeah, I didn't I didn't drink any beers, except the ones I did drink. <laughs> so, so, so did you look at particular fountains and things like that? <laughs> yes, I, I did. Very look, very much looks at fountains and walls and genuine and generally art galleries and stuff. Yeah. Do you go to the Tintin Hershey Museum as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you might have done. Yeah. yeah. So yes, um, we went off to on um, the Eurostar late morning on Wednesday. I headed back with some others on Friday. You stayed and out and about and went on on to Brussels. Uh, we didn't have any uh, beer um, train beers either, did we, Peter, on the way over? No, we definitely didn't have any train beers, especially not any 11% ones. They they definitely didn't exist. No, that would have been ridiculous, drinking that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, imagine drinking 11.5% stout before like uh, before like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Having had a load of other strong and then And then staying up till like 1 in the morning drinking afterwards. <laughs> that would just be careless. Absolutely. And it's a good job we didn't do that. Um, yeah. Reflections on a, a very sober uh, trip to Amsterdam. How did you find it, Peter? What's your overall thoughts? Because we, it, I mean, it was pretty yeah. shit, wasn't it? it? It was awful. Yeah, I mean, I hated every moment. Yeah. You know, really. And, and yeah, I mean, it off. genuinely, I I listened to the last pod, which I briefly featured in, but uh, yeah, I didn't see you afterwards. But it, I agree with what everyone was saying. It was just an absolutely stunning experience. I don't know, it's something I never dreamed that I'd ever see, even up to this season. I'd involve, you know, going to Ajax and seeing Albion win. Yeah, and do the double over them as well, and putting ourselves in a really good chance of whether it's first, second or first, putting our third, putting ourselves in a really good chance of more European football in 2024, which is great for me personally, not so great for my bank balance, my liver or my annual leave allocation, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's great, but it's, a, it's something to look forward to generally. 
but maybe not so much for any of those things. Yeah, but yeah, right. it was, I mean, we, we completely dominated the game to us. They hit the posts, obviously, when it hit both posts. But other than that, we, I never really felt like we were threatened. And yeah, they, I know they gifted us the first goal, but the second was just a stunning move, brilliant move from Albion and well finished by Adingra, who looks like a, well, with his goal at the weekend as well, looks like a really good signing now. I think that's seven, eight million we paid for him and he looks, he looks well, brilliant. I don't so. think- I think it was less than that, actually. It was sort of closer to to five and a half, six. Yeah. Uh, so. well, whatever it is, it's it's definitely worth it. He looks a real, and he's really uh, stepped up since Solly's injury and really kind of, yeah, kind of taken that role because he hasn't really been, been rested at all recently. Yeah, he was playing on the left wing for the Sheffield United game. We'll get on to that in a moment. But I think overall, after that game, actually, they were talking about Adingra. Look, Brighton have done it again. They found uncovered another gem. So they've started to get to that little bit of dialogue and narrative now which is interesting uh about him um but yes we have done it again by the looks of it but um yeah well raymond let's get your views on the game because um obviously we haven't had your opinions on amsterdam yet obviously you, you what i presume you watched it live at home i i i watched it on uh on the box yes uh tnt tv i'm never that happy watching the album on tnt because um we seem to do better when we're on sky and not so well when we're on what would be T and now TNT. Um, so I'm always slightly sceptical. Um, but you know, it was a good all round performance. Uh, we sort of fell away a bit towards the end. I felt, um, we weren't as good and they came sort of quite strongly. Um, I thought actually, um, one of our Dutchmen, you know, sort of, uh, was, was one of our best players. Um, um, Van Hecke, he, he I thought was excellent. And the yeah. more the game went on, the more that our centre forward he had under control. Um, a number of other people played well, um, and caught the eye. Obviously, the injuries uh, were unfortunate, to put it mildly, uh, and disrupted us. And obviously, we're paying the, the cost of those injuries now, I think, since. Um, I mean, Milner effectively was off after five minutes. I mean, he may have gone off after eight, but he actually went down after five. Um, and that didn't obviously help, but nonetheless, in spite of those setbacks, good sound 2 0 win with two very good goals. And, uh, uh going back to Adringra, um, he does seem to be very clinical with his finishing and, uh, he tends to shoot on target. Um, um I think one or two other people in the squad could, could you know, learn a lesson or two, yeah. um, from him. I, I mean, think- Absolutely. Yeah, he looked really sparky, didn't he? And uh, I think um, also, I mean, Fatty, again, a brilliantly well-taken goal, just as his other goal against Ajax was um, a few weeks ago, <clears throat> you know, just really takes things in his stride. His first touch facilitates the best exa- the best opportunity for a finish, doesn't it? it, it his first touch makes it, and then he, he creates the room. Um, maybe he takes another touch sometimes if he needs to, but boom, right in the corner. He's a good finisher, and that's important. Lovely, delightful back-heeled um, flick in a tight space to progress a move uh, down on the wayside, which is the far side as you're looking on TV. Uh, I don't know if uh, that, that that wasn't shown in highlights or picked up in any any great detail, but fantastic moment. Um, Joao was well in the second half, attacking the goal nearest to our away fans, uh, had a, a really brilliant jinking move where he, he kind of swayed and swiveled three or four times and created space. Um, it was a shot on the angle, really. It hit the side netting. It was a difficult chance. But the fact there was a chance at all was brilliant. He did rather well as well. I know there's a lot more we need to see from him, but the guy next to me in the stadium 
um, that wasn't David, <laughs> the other side of me, um, was saying he thinks Joao's going to be one of the best players we've ever had over time. Well, we'll we'll wait and see on that one. That might be a little bit uh, for high well, well, his, I, th- I think Pedro's um, all-round game is excellent. Um, it's just yeah. his finishing in open play is the is the weakness at the moment. And arguably, he just went on that chance you're talking about. He just went on a fraction too far before he shot. So the, the angle, the further he went on, the worse the angle was, if I can sort of put it that way. But he had a, uh, I'll come back to it in, when we talk to him about Sheffield, but he had another chance at Sheffield, which he should have done better with. And yeah. I think his running, um, his moves, I mean, for the a drinker goal, his run across as Fatty was coming forward, he then ran across, took two, two defenders across, opening up the space for a dringer, and a dringer didn't, you know, hesitate. He just sort of rifled it into the net. But basically, it was all three of them working together in harmony. And the look on uh, uh, Roberto's face, I mean, you know, this was, I could see him saying, that's what I've worked on in, in training. That's how it should be. That's great. That's fantastic. The guys are getting it. And, yeah. uh, and it was that. And, I mean, the commentary was, you know, very, very complimentary about saying, you know, this is how Brighton play. This is what they yeah. do. Well, I think um, we are we are developing some synergy and some some really good understanding between some of the players, despite all the rotation, aren't we? And Peter, I know you wanted to come back in on that. Yeah, a couple of points. I was going to say about Pedro. I think he's yeah, his finishing is not good enough from open play yet, especially when he plays the striker where you'd expect better. And he's you compare him to Ferguson, but I think. The, yeah, what he, he does do is he always makes things happen. And if he comes on, he tries things. And yeah, they don't all come off, but he, he'll try something and it, and it, and it quite often does come off. And if it does, teams struggle to defend it. And that's, a, you know, a huge difference. The other thing I was going to say was, cause he did get quite a lot of criticism, arguably rightly on Sunday, or I don't think it was on purpose what he did, but it was the Hood's ball for the, that set the whole thing in motion for the, you know, first time ball around the corner to Fatty. And then he also broke. And took a couple of defenders away as well. And yeah, which, you know, it's a real shame he got sent off at the weekend because he was really starting to show what he could do. And he, yeah, it was, I do think it was accidental at the weekend. And I, I know you don't necessarily agree, Russ. I think, but I don't think he meant to do it. Um, and I just don't think he looked where, where he was. Um, but yeah, it's a shame because he was really starting to look like he, like the player that we thought we'd sign, which was a really encouraging, but he might have taken a bit of time to adapt to the more physical element of the Premier League, but he seems to be coming good. But now he's going to miss three Premier League games. Although yeah. at least he'll be able to start against Athens and Marseille next time. Yeah, and with eight players out of the current count, I don't know how temporary some of these are, but um, we've obviously we've got Ferguson, Welbeck, Solly, and CISO, Dunk, um, Lamptey, Milner, and Milner. So we've got eight players out plus Tahoud now with the suspension. Depending on whether any of them are able to come back in, that uh, if they're not, that's nine players we're missing, and that's assuming Jakob Murder is still fit, as seemed to be the case from him being on the bench at Sheffield United. So we, yeah, we could have done without that. Anyway, we'll get on to that um, now. In fact, we'll move on to talking about the Sheffield United yeah. game in more detail. Unless, sorry, yeah, Raymond, I don't yeah, know if it's I was going to go, go back over to, you. Uh, to the Fatty Adringa things because in that game, uh, Adringa made the pass for Fatty to score. Um, Fatty then returned the compliments. I mean, they are building up a, a partnership. Yeah. And mm. I think both Adringa and Fatty have adapted pretty quickly to the PL. And I, the point that Peter was making about Dahu, I think Dahu's not, is, is more 
sort of typical of players coming over here and taking time to adapt to the PL. Um, I just wonder, um, and I'd like to ask Peter the question, whether we're playing Dahoud in the right position. I'm not sure whether in the PL at this stage that he's right playing in the sort of one of the sort of pivotal roles in central midfield and whether we might see more of his creativity um, if he was playing further forward at, say, number 10. Because not only the pass that you referred to, Peter, but there was a pass in the Sheffield United game where he, he got through to Patty, another similar sort of pass. Mm. Uh, it was also his ball out to the wing for our equaliser at Everton yeah, as well. Yeah, but, but, but a longer one and, uh, but, and more centrally. And I'm just wondering, because his, to put it mildly, his tackle against Sheffield was clumsy. Um, he's not actually offering so much to, or doesn't appear to be defensively. And I wondered if he had more of a pure attacking role and, and, and pressing rather than tackling, intercepting, whether he'd be more effective. It's, that's my, I think he has played the role he's been playing. And the problem is he normally, I think, probably plays alongside a more defensive midfielder. The issue we have is Gilmore, Grosh, Dahoud are all, are all more box to box such attacking midfielders. They're not natural, you know, kind of defensive midfielders. So the only player we've got really who offers that defensive cover is Belaber and he's quite new and quite young. So we're trying to like ease him in. So we don't have that natural defensive midfielder. He'd have been fine in my view alongside Casado last season, for example. I don't think there's a problem there. You know, I mean, McAllister wasn't a defensive midfielder. Um, but I think, you know, they, I think what they need to do is get someone I mean, either Balaba develop develops very quickly, as we hope he will, or we get someone else in the short term to then cover and allow Balaba to come in, you know, more over the next season or two. But either way, we need someone to be more that pivot. And then, you know, Gilmore, Grosh, Dahoud alongside them, I think, rather than necessarily playing further forward. Because I'm not sure he's necessarily got his goal scoring records good enough to play further forward, for example. And um, But there's no, that's the problem. We don't have that defensive midfield pivot at the moment who gets stuck in who's good at tackling except Belaber who obviously they don't want to play too often because he's yeah he's literally 19 and has like 20 appearances so far for first team football hmm. well the Sheffield United game we started with stealing goal and according to the BBC I've only seen the uh, the highlights um, on Sky extended highlights but uh, it seems Grosh was playing at right back is that right yes with? yes Grosh was at right back and, uh, and we had even more left back at left, yeah. left back but it was sort of almost, he sort of had Gross at right back but pushed him forward, whereas Eagle was almost part of a three, but it was a sort of lopsided three, if that makes yeah. sense. With, with it Webster, Webster and Van, it was Webster Van Heck. Van Heck, I, I really like because he was playing in the centre of effectively a three, and every time that sort of Webster or Eagle got the ball, he tended to, he, he was dropping back, um, and effectively covering them. So if they made a mistake, he was there covering. Yeah. And he, I mean, actually probably dropping back deeper more than uh, than Dunk would have done in the same position. So, um, and there was a tense, and I noticed that Eagle, when the others were further forward, that he was coming back and covering. Um, Webster to a degree, but not the same degree. Um, but he did push Gross forward. And actually, the, the he wasn't actually being brought into the game as much as he perhaps could have been in the first half. There were a lot of times when Gresham seemed to be free on the right and Webster just simply wasn't moving the ball out there and he had space. And, and, and therefore, by the time and by the time Webster did move it out to him, 
Klaus uh, got sort of closed down. He had to then pass it back. Whereas Webster would get it, and he could have passed it a couple of seconds earlier. Um, so people say Ross looked fairly quiet and not his best game. But actually, with the best win in the world, if, the, if when we've got the ball, we're not actually getting it anywhere near him, there's not much he can do. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so I would, you know, I think that there was a problem there. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one with Webster because he's hardly playing. But it, it, it was un, perhaps unfortunate for him. He, he was the one that scored the own goal. But if I'm going to say, if anybody's going to score an own goal today uh, against us effectively, who would you bet on it being? I think I probably would have said Webster. Uh, you know, before the game, so he did some good things, but he's just not hasn't got that sharpness that he, he would have from playing regularly. Uh, but we controlled the game. Um, we were not. Uh, you know, we didn't look like losing. We didn't actually really particularly look like conceding. They'd had they'd virtually nothing in the first half, uh, and we had over seventy percent possession the first half. Um, the second half. Obviously, to start with, they began to come into it a bit before Dahu's sending off. Um, that clearly was the turning point. But going back earlier to a conversation we had before we started this, um, the, you know, there was a penalty. Uh, it should have been a penalty. Match of the day, both Shira and Ian Wright uh, thought it was a stone cold penalty. On match of the day, they said that they were told that the reason it wasn't given is the player's arm was by his side. Um, well, I don't know what side that was because I couldn't see it by the side. I could see daylight between his arm and his body uh, and quite a lot of it. Um, I, I don't know whether the VAR officials redesigning the human body or something um, or needs to go and study basic uh, human anatomy. But, you know, it was a penalty. And uh, at 2 0, or at least with a penalty at 1 0, if we'd gone to 2 0, that would have been game over. And I know this is maybe a, a little bit disingenuous to say, but would we have had that red card? I don't know if Dahoud would have been any more careful. Well, whether we should have had the red card in the first place, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not ignoring the tackle, but actually, Gilmore was fouled, I believe, just before, about a second before Dahoud did the tackle. Yeah. So. So there's an well, argument. It's definitely a penalty, Raymond. I agree. With the ref, well, it was in the middle of the pitch, but uh, but what the ref possibly should have been blowing for the foul on Gilmore. And then then what happens? I'm not sure if you've already blown for one foul. I think if you if it's fouled, if it's dangerous conduct, even if you've already blown for a foul, you'd still yeah. have a red card. Yeah. And I don't think we can complain too much. It was I thought the who was you know a little bit unlucky in the sense that he didn't mean it. I don't think, but. And I think he was just reaching for the ball, but I don't think you can complain about the actual red card. And right. Deservey did in his post-match rant as well about referees. He didn't. He said the red card on reflection, although yeah. he felt in his day it was like it was quite a natural thing to do. He did say that it was a red card in the current rules. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Peter, as you know, I disagree a little bit with that. I think, I think he did know what he was doing. It was very much the heat of the moment. I don't think it was anything what I would call malicious in it or forceful. But it was a snidey little rake down the leg, which is, again, it's a split second to make a decision to do it. But I think he was looking at the player, looking at the leg. I didn't see him looking at the ball in that situation. I know it all happened very quickly, um, but 
I think it. Well, either way round, it's definitely a red because he's. He meant it, then, frankly, he's an idiot because we were in complete. We were in control generally of the game, and you know. Yeah, kind I of... mean that did turn the game, didn't it? When yeah. when all said and done, it definitely I, I've turned. Been the watching, game. I've been watching the game. My attention had been taken more by the foul on Gilmore, and and we seemed to then win the ball. I mean, sort of uh, the foul, sort of uh, another bit of action, which was the diehood, and then the ball breaks, and one well, wasn't. And then I was quite surprised that that, that the whistle played, and and I was, I was surprised by the red card. And actually, I was sitting, I was sitting virtually next to Clive, and neither he and I could see you know what what's been wrong. Partly because we had the the Gilmore and uh, another Sheffield player in front of us before the Darhood incident, so we were partially put line side side it. But it's I I don't I think there to a degree. Um, Roberto was a bit slow in wanting to substitute Darhood, and I was um, certainly calling for and talking to Jane saying yeah. Darhood's yeah. got to come off. He started losing the ball two or three times, misplaced passes. He's obviously tiredness. I felt his legs had gone, and that he, he was doing it. And yes, he did have Belieber and uh, whoever it was else who came on at the same time warming up Feltman. Um, so he was going to make the change. But, it, I mean, it was the 69th minute, and yet it became quite clear in 61, 62 minutes that Dahoud was beginning to, you know, just lost that zip and everything. So Yeah, I think, um, I think unfortunately, he would have been one substituted. And uh, it is a bit, yeah, I mean, a couple of times I've noticed this, that it feels like you can see the legs are going in players. I thought Villa away was another example. There was a few other examples you could have picked where you feel as if, it was obvious that the players were flagging and the sooner you get them off, the better in that scenario because A, they can get injuries more easily by playing one tired. Secondly, obviously, they can make mistakes, whatever you want to call it, uh, that who did there. Um, and um, thirdly, of course, we could lose ground in a, a sequence, in a move and get caught out just before it happens. So it's always best to get it done as soon as possible if a player's flagging and we have options available. So that was a bit frustrating. As I said, I didn't see it live. I just saw the highlights. So about your better judgment about the, you know, what well, was I mean, it, 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 I mean, I, I was actually saying, <laughs> and James comment to me, having I've been called for it, and he's got my card, he turned around and said, oh, well, you've got your wish record. <laughs> yes, he's off. <laughs> the diehood was off the pitch. So, uh, he didn't I, seem but, happy about it, did he, to be honest? Yeah, but but if, if, if we're seeing it as amateurs, you know, that's doing it. They must see it a couple of minutes earlier. Hmm. Yeah, possibly so. Let's, I, I, let's put it this way. I can't believe I saw it before Roberto did. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. I, even though you might have a different seating position, it's not advantageous to be where, where coaches are on the pitch, uh, pitch, pitch side at ground level. Well, minus standing height and whatever. Um, it's not, not the best optimum position, admittedly, but nonetheless, they, they clearly know what they're doing. At this level, and should should be able to see those things. I I think he was about to take him off at least, and it's a bit unfortunate that situation occurred at that exact moment. Um, Peter, yeah, I mean, the real problem was that when we did it, and we have got the pit players on, and I think who we brought on sort of made sense because Gross was able to go central midfield. Belton came on. Belieber gave us a bit more sort of physicality in the centre. Uh, I'm surprised he took Gilmore off because Gilmore was playing well. Has Gilmore Gilmore never plays ninety minutes though. No, well, I mean, Roberto doesn't think he can play 90 minutes, but uh, he hasn't given him 90 minutes to see if he can play 90 minutes. Can I just say, only the second of those two voices sounded like the real Peter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, I, just just to say, Gilmore started the game, of course, with Tahoud in in central midfield. Um, and we'll, we'll get to your point in a moment, Peter. But just quickly before I forget the rest of the lineup, we had Wenonote starting on the right, Adingra that we mentioned earlier was on the left this time, Lalana starting again, and Ansu Fati that was uh, up front. Um, but anyway, over to your point, Peter. Yeah, just to go back to the penalty. So I yeah I, I find it quite frustrating that we've we've like we've drawn our last three games. And all three of them, there's been some sort of poor refereeing decision, in my view, slash very, very questionable one in the in the Everton game. Now, I mean, it has to be said, John Brooks is a referee who can't draw a line in the right place. So quite why they think he's able to officiate a Premier League game in person is beyond me, because he is, he's a joke. Um, as as we might come to in the end, I'm still trying to work out who the 20% of referees that Deserby likes are, because I can't think of any. They're all dreadful, mainly, but... Even the ones that actually know she is supposed to be better, like Taylor and Oliver, have been quite poor generally when I've seen them recently. Um, but yeah, Fulham home, Polinia, blatant red card, should have gone. Um, and that's, you know, obviously changes the game at that point, especially then when a bloody score for them as well. Everton away, still unsure why Dunk's goals is allowed. You know, the, the clips I've seen that show the ball's already been kicked by, by Grosh and also show that while the front of his arm is offside, it maybe it's like armpit doesn't look like it is, which is I thought what they were measuring from these days, because you can't use your arm, most part of your arm. And then yeah, the penalty was blatant. I mean, to how they can think that's as Raymond said, how they can think that's a natural position for you to have your arm is beyond He's me. elbowed the so, ball away. It's also, yeah. not so much that they said it was a natural position. According to me after the day, they said his arm was by his side. Yeah. Now, yeah. If it's his arm by either by his side or it isn't it wasn't by his side yeah i mean a natural position i think is a, a subjective um decision by the side it's either by the side and you can't see any daylight in, but it's not several inches away from the side yeah and i'm actually i don't know if you can see me but and i'm not holding it about sort of a foot a foot away and that's more or less where it was yes it's you know the arm is attached to the shoulder you know, at the side of one side of, of the body. And you know, if, if that's how you interpret by the side, then anybody can put their arm anywhere. I mean, Just to clarify, um, when you say match of the day, I was saying about it being a natural position, they were talking about what the VAR had said, weren't they? Not that wasn't yeah. their own. No, what I'm um, saying no, they is, both uh, what said it was a penalty. Yeah, yeah they both thought it was a penalty. Ian Wright and Alan Shearer. But they yeah, said um, okay. they said that um uh, yeah, VAR had looked at looked at it briefly and deemed that the 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 arm was in a natural position. Uh, no, was, sorry, it no. wasn't extended. Um, yeah. what, no, they, they said it by his. What they said was that uh, VAR said that it, his arm was by his side. Well, in the sense that it was still attached to his torso, I would agree. But apart from that, I'm not convinced. <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I, and, and it's absolute absolute rubbish. I, I actually do think that it, it absolutely essential that both sides should have, either through Zoom or physically have somebody in touch with the VAR official who can actually see what he is seeing and is in communication with him and can say, hold on, VAR, you know, we disagree with you. Are you saying his arm's by his side? Because it clearly isn't. And be able to free, get the, the frame free, frozen and show, show where it is and say, it's not by his side, that's where it is. So they can actually challenge on the fact and I think that the clubs need to be able to challenge that. And I think what Roberto is saying, saying he doesn't trust the attitude of the refs on the pitch and this, that and the other, is that I think he finds it difficult, as the rest of us do, with some of the 
interpretations of fact that the VAR officials are making, like drawing the wrong line on the wrong player, uh, you know, not putting the offside line up. I mean, I'm just quoting two two examples. Um, and, and they're doing fact, getting factual things fundamentally wrong at the VAR, not the referee on the pitch, but the VAR official. And I just don't think that's acceptable. And I think if both clubs have the ability, when there's a VAR incident, to challenge the interpretation of the VAR official, I think it should happen. I think that's the only way it's going to clean up. It's I, all. I disagree. I think they, I think that becomes really messy because who are you? You're literally appealing to the people who just said that. So I don't, um, they're not going to change their mind. They're, they're pretty pig headed. My view is they should scrap reveries doing VAR. And I should, I've said before, bring in people who are separate, but specifically VAR people to do the job there who well, actually are competent. Yeah. No, I think having specialist people doing, doing the VAR, I think it's a very good idea. I think that makes sense. But, uh, I, I, you know, it's just unfortunate because, um, I mean, I, I felt we lost. Two points. Everybody, I think, thought we lost two points. Um, even when we went down to 10 men, and I'll, I'll come back to that, towards the, after a period of time, we began to come back into the game a bit more and, and pose more of a threat. Um, so it was, even with 10 men, we were beginning to match them um, in spite of things. But it's, I mean, they didn't look a good side. I mean, they, they, they had, Spent some energy, they, they, they worked hard, but it was a just different class. I mean, the first half, you know, there was one was looking at a, you know, a, a Premier League team, and one was looking like a, at a team that wasn't Premier League, but with one or two okay players. Uh, it was difficult. The only thing that we did wrong is that when Dahoud went off, I mean, we brought the people on, somehow we lost our shape, and rather than playing with 10 men. And without effectively a number 10, and just playing the same way, we went into some sort of, we, we sat back more, we didn't press as much, um, we, we lost our shape defensively. Um, and I think that's what Roberto was unhappy with, that, that we suddenly, rather than the players who have been playing at the back, continuing to play as they were, the players that would still, play, I think taking Gilmore off when he did was, was premature. Because we needed to keep some of the people playing as they had been, um, and it was, you know, obviously, so Pedro came on uh, up front for for Fatty. I think that was fine, um, but it, it, it was we just lost our shape, and I haven't seen us do that under Roberto before. Hmm. Well, Raymond, if I could just come in there because I think that fits in nicely with what I was about to say. I was. <clears throat> I was going to quote Roberto De Zerbi's post-match on BBC. He says there were two games, one until the red card and the second game with 10 players. Um, he said in the first one, we deserved to win with more goals, but for our mistakes, the result was only 1-0. Then with 10 players, we could have defended better with more order. I think our quality of play was very good, but if you play like we did for the first 70 minutes, you have to close the game and score two or three or four goals not only one. And um, it's also worth mentioning that the BBC mentioned our ongoing record, which is now 29 successive league games scoring, but 16 successive league games without a clean sheet. And I think ultimately this is the problem, isn't it? We've we've had the chance to beat Fulham. We were ahead against them. Never mind what, what sort of defensive tactics people do. We got ahead in the game. 
the same with this match, Sheffield United. Sheffield United are, I think, pretty much unarguably the poorest team in this division, um, largely due to resource. But nonetheless, we shouldn't be losing or drawing that game, particularly when we've got ahead. And I do think, I, I actually, unlike the Fulham game, I do agree with Roberto De Zerbi's assessment here. I do think from what I've seen and what you've said, as well, that it does seem to be a game of two halves either side of that red card. Yes, we may be improved over time with the 10 men as we settle into it, but certainly we, we should have put the game to bed before that, shouldn't we? Um, oh, Peter, absolutely. I know, well, well, let's get Peter back in because I know you wanted to get on on this. Yeah, I was going to make a, a side point. I have a feeling that Dahoud um, might be the only player we've had sent off in Deserbi's time in charge. I think it is, yeah. I and think it, the only person previously who'd been sent off since Deserbi took over was Deserbi. Yes. And he's got a third book. I, I, mean, I think he's a one match ban, isn't it? Is it? What's that? What's Dunker the sent off? I can't remember. No. no. I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think had anyone sent off last no. season. It's been quite a while remember. since we've had one. Yeah. No, I don't remember anyone having a red card. It might be Dunk at United two seasons ago. That was the last one, actually. Um, on the, on another matter. And I, I think rotation and I think injuries and I think a lack of clinicism in, in some of the certain games, uh, a lack of prof, uh, you know, just being profligate in front of goal. There's a various number of different reasons why we haven't got as many points as we should. But this game, coming off the back of a European match with a lot of injuries and a quick turnaround for our next game, I do still think, despite all that, we should have won this game and we were winning this game. Well, I mean, just, I mean, Russell, just looking at the game in isolation, ignoring yeah. everything else, we were the better side, and um, you know, it was difficult. I mean, obviously, we didn't have a proper centre forward because Welbeck wasn't there. Pedro was on the bench. Uh, Ferguson was injured as well, so um, it was you know that didn't help. Um, Lalana doesn't seem to. Uh, I, I, I'm really not quite sure what he's doing on the pitch these days. Um, I mean, he gave the ball away several times hmm. um, in the thing, and. You know, we we did look better. You know, we we looked more threatening, funnily enough, going forward when we had brought Pedro and Matoma on. Um, the difficulty is that someone like Matoma, it looks slightly jaded because um, he hasn't been able to rest him, which is why he re- you know, he didn't play him in the first half. Um, Pedro came on and looked lively and and did well, but again, he, he, there was a really good pass by Adringa to Pedro on the edge of edge of the box centrally. Pedro centrally, and he shot quickly. But yet again, he hit, he sent the ball over the bar. I mean, I, I just do not understand why he, he doesn't keep the ball down. Um, he's not getting his sort of knee through the ball, I don't think. I think he's leaning back fractionally. And it was doing, and he, he obviously, the way he reacted, he knew he should have done better. But it was a good chance. And, you know, not to hit the target, I mean, to hit the target and it's saved is one thing. But to not even hit the target doesn't help. And again, it was prior when we were one nil up. It was relatively early on, and, and quite a time before Darhu's red red card. And you know that doesn't help. It's another you know, good pass by Adringa. You know, in, in another good setup. Um, so it's. I mean, we had the chances. I mean, Fatty had two good two chances, but he did actually you know, induce. Two good saves by the goalkeeper. Well, Billy um, Gilmore is getting good at these shots. Oh, He's got I mean, a score. Shot, isn't he? I mean, that shot, I mean, just looking at it, I was on the side, and um, Peter knows where we said, and it, he was must have been about 30 yards out, and it yeah. really travelled quickly. And, uh, and it was it over the bar for reference. Yeah, well. Actually, it had been 
been three foot either side, the goalkeeper wouldn't have saved it. No, because it had some real power in it. And he's he's come close a few times. And that will happen over time. But I wanted to put uh, pose another question. The one thing that wasn't mentioned in that quote from De Zerbi, but we, we've already alluded to, is he suggested that he didn't have an issue with the red card, but he did have an issue with English referees, and that he doesn't like them. And he thinks 80% of them, very specific number, uh, are not good enough, basically. He doesn't like 80% of the refs. Um, so there's obviously a jokey question about which 20% does he like? And is he going to tell every single individual one on a face-to-face basis that they're in the 20%? Who knows? But I, I, mean, I, I mean, the other joke, of course, uh, Russell was discussing earlier, I'm surprised he found the twenty percent, but I mean, it's, uh... <laughs> well, I don't think he did. I think he was being diplomatic. <laughs> he, what what he's actually referring to uh, might be interesting to know because it could be the stuff Peter's been talking about—the um, disallowed dunk goal. It could be the the VAR stuff. Is it also about the niggly stuff as well? Because although Peter and I weren't there, I know Peter, you in particular, and and I as well have a very big bugbear with the fact that referees, particularly at the games at the Amex, seem to let the wayside um, get away with a lot more niggly crap and shithousery for a lot longer. And if you look at uh, this game, it didn't seem to be a f- that physical a game from our side. It didn't even seem to be that bad from Sheffield United. Oh, they raining- kept on firing us. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in which case, in which case, what, okay, the red card is the red card. Why do we get three bookings and they got two bookings? That's my question. Peter wants to come in on that. I obviously don't know about the the bookings, but I think it's their attitude generally. I think it's the way they behave and the way they think they're, the way they, and I understand that the referee's got to be, you know, seen as being right and you can't argue, blah, blah, blah. But I think generally British referees, as shown by some of the ones, a lot of the ones we've had are pretty arrogant and, Actually, you know, the way they behave, you question one decision, you know, and we've seen it before, you know, Gilmore questioned, was clearly fouled against Everton and had to go at the referee and gets booking. But then minutes later, Everton are literally surrounded referee and he doesn't do anything about it. You know, it's like, well, and there's no consistency. Our referees are the worst, I think, in the mainstream, like, big leagues. VAR is done worse than anywhere else. And yet the one person we import over is Jared Gillett, who is absolutely useless. Why yeah, can't we, gonna... If we're going to import referees, why can't we actually import one who's actually quite good rather than Jared Bloody Gillett? Yeah, well, Raymond, I'll come to you in a second, but just very quickly to say, so it's a mixture of behaviour and designation of discipline between the yeah. two teams. So we're not getting a consistency, but also the general behaviour of the refs isn't irritating. Like, you I, did I, lose would, that, didn't you? I would say with a, a lot of the refs, it's their body language. Yeah. And there is an element of uh, not necessarily consistent through a game from the same person, of, you know, they're the most important person on the pitch. Um, and I think that, you know, it's... And, and don't you actually argue with me, Sonny, if I said it's this, it's that. Even if it isn't, it doesn't matter what my word says goes, even if it's actually totally uh, 200% wrong. Um, mm. And I think one feels that on the continent that they are less less showy and just... Yeah, quietly. I think also uh, perhaps I don't know to what extent you know people are um, are, are more more disciplined over on the continent in terms of uh, if they are any more disciplined in terms of how they have a go at the ref. But at the beginning of this season, one noticed that it was just dunk going up, or possibly the player who was involved in the incident doing it. And in the last few weeks. It, 
that the actual crowd audience or referees or people getting around them has crept back in. It's happened with one of the penalties that we were awarded. I can't remember which game it was. But whereas before people were holding back at the beginning of the season with this sort of new directive, in it, a, a, a lot of the people were going round and, and Pedro was having to wait to, to take the penalty because of of the way that um, the, the opposition people were crowding the ref. And I, I mean, simply, you know, I think the ref should just give the card and get on with it rather than be too histrionic. And I think it's the histrionics that, that Roberto is unhappy about. Hmm. Peter? I think it dates back also to that Fulham game last year. So I think the Fulham game at home was after Palace away. And we'd had, I didn't have a whole fuss about how Beb had been over and apologised and they'd been, and Deservey had sat with them for like two or three hours and been like, they'd apologised, they'd been talking through stuff. And then we get an equally shit referee at the weekend who was hopeless in that Fulham game. He genuinely was awful. And I think ended up sending off Deservey, or certainly booked him, and I think he may have sent him off. And that was the frust- where the frustration, I think he probably lost faith in referees over here. He effectively, I think he said afterwards, I've wasted my, he said, I said, referee, I've wasted my week, basically, part of my week, speaking to your boss. And now you're, yeah, because in other words, you've been useless as well. And it's like, well, you know, what's the bloody point of all these apologies if you don't actually get things right? Wolves have had about three apologies already this season. And we're not even a third of the way through. We've not had, but we should have had apologies at least two of the last three games. Um, and yeah, they just don't bother when it's like not too tight. But I mean, that was a, yeah. T- Three, to me, poor decisions have cost us points in the last three games. We won two of those or something like that because of those, because Pellini gets sent off and because we get a penalty on Sunday. Suddenly we're up quite a lot higher. We're chasing the top for four or five as compared to having looking over our shoulders a bit. And yeah, turning cool. it around though, all I will say is a positive. We're unbeaten in five and we've lost one in eight in all competitions. So it's not all... I, I know we're not winning games in the Premier League, but we are picking up points at least. We're not like losing many. Uh, that's all I posted that... To that effect, actually, on the sole sites, um, Peter saying that you know, I agree with you that, that you know we're not. I mean, we are being reasonably resilient uh, um, in the sense that we're you know, looking at a different way. We've become hard to beat. We might can be conceding, but we've become hard to beat, generally speaking. And it's uh, um, they're doing it. I, I I think there are sort of. It's, I, I'm not, I think the over rotation doesn't help. Although we might re- re- reap the benefits of that in the second half of the season, so later on as time goes by, other people might be more tired and our players might be fresher. Um, I think um, having too many people who are injury prone in the squad doesn't help us. Um, you know, we've got first people who seem to come on, play half a match, half a, a half a match, and then they're off for the next several. Um, and I think that that doesn't help. But starting the season with only two recognised fullbacks in Estepin and Lamptey, one of whom seems to spend, you know, sadly spends too, too much time being injured, uh, is, is not a sensible way forward. You mean and on the, the left side? Or because we've got Veltman? Well, no, I mean, just both. I mean, we've got Veltman can play right back, but he's really a, a right central defender. Well, he's not. Uh, he's been a right back pretty much his whole time with Albion. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't agree with I that. Know, I think he's too small to be a Premier League centre back, really, in a yeah. two. But, anyway, but the problem is we were a bit weak there, yeah. 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 But it's, well, um... I don't want to drag on too long because we, in, in terms of this particular analysis, because we've, you know, we've talked about those subjects and I totally agree with you, just, just to say as well. But, um, I do think that, um, yeah, nitpickiness in terms of refereeing is, 
is not helping us. In the matter of rotation, just one word to say on that. I mean, certainly we've got this big picture plan of trying to incorporate a whole wider thing over the season. Aston Villa have gone the other way. We talked about it off air. They've only made eight changes to Premier League squad lineups this season, or starting 11s, I think, actually. And we've made 48. Now, obviously, it's a totally different policy at work here. Um, On the one hand, Villa, I mean, whether they're doing something super duper versus us in t- behind the scenes in terms of fitness, I don't know. But I think they've been getting lucky with injuries because they're playing a limited squad in a lot of games with a lot of travel. Yes, maybe easier matches than we've got in Europe, but nonetheless, that's... I think they're making a lot of changes in Europe. So effectively, those players are only playing once a week. Yeah. I think because they've got, yeah, so, the, so, so they've got basically a weekend team playing in the conference. Yeah, they'll make six, seven changes every... So a lot of their players don't yeah. play twice... Yeah. Two or we, three times in a week. So when I think, we, when, well, I was going to say, Peter, you, you're saying that we are we've missed three key match decisions in three different games that have cost us points, and we've got an injury issue which is beyond what we could have necessarily anticipated, particularly as it pertains to the fullback positions where we've seemed to have a focus of injuries and the and, wings now as well. And yet, yeah, exactly. And despite all that, we're still in eighth place with no luck. Um, some bad decisions coming against us and lots of injury issues. So not bad, really, is it, considering no. we've started to turn around our European campaign? And we play three of the big six and then the three teams probably below them as well in West Ham, Newcastle and Villa, yeah. or probably in and around that anyway. So, so yeah, we, I don't I don't think we've had a bad season. It's just disappointing that we've not won. You know, we're lucky that we're not lucky, but we're glad we've won the five of the first six. Yeah. Um, One but, thing is, um, I was going to say that... Um, yeah, we're all deeply frustrated by the Sheffield United result. But the one thing somebody said online, and I think we all wholeheartedly agree with, is we wouldn't have the, the, those two points back for in, in exchange for Ajax uh, away or anything that we've done in Europe positively so far this season, would we? And th- I, th- I suppose ultimately the, the priority for us is, and I think it's slightly reflected in the team selections, the, the emphasis at the moment is on Europe. It's getting through the stages, preferably finishing first, or if we don't, finishing third, so we don't have that extra game early New Year. So if we get into the top position in the Europa League, which is entirely feasible, we would not be involved in that tournament's knockout stages until March, um, whereas I think we play early February or something in the other one. Um, whereas... obviously the conference is a different matter. So if we finish third, that in some ways that would be better than finishing second in terms of scheduling. I know it's only by matter of two games, but it does, it does take its toll and it has taken. I think it's the same number of games. We still play in February in the conference. Oh, do we still play? We we play a team second in the conference. Yeah. Because there's an an extra round in the conference because of the teams in the Europa League dropping down. Oh, yes, that's true. OK, so we want to finish first. <laughs> to put it it'll blunt. just be an extra, it'll but probably be an easier extra game on paper, but it would be possibly a lot but, further travel. But we're coming back to the, um, the the positive side of the Sheffield United goal. I mean, the goal that Adringa scored was excellent. Oh, goal. Really good pass by Gilmore out to the wing um, to Adringa. Adringa then goes on a good run, does a sort of one-two, but the, the back heel from Bernanotte was very perceptive. Oh, and, beautiful, uh, isn't it? So beautiful, beautiful piece of skill. Uh, but Adringa has kept running, anticipating it, and uh, and 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 took the goal well. And it's, you know, 
six minutes. Moment, it seemed it seemed to me to be halfway between Mitima's goal at Wolves this season and the Stoke goal uh, that was potential man of the match, the Izquierdo goal. It was somewhere between the two, wasn't it? For me, there was that. There was obviously the interaction of the second player involved. I think there might have been a couple of players involved in the Stoke Stoke goal. I can't remember three or four actually, but um, it's somewhere in that kind of realm. But you're right, that was absolutely a fantastic goal. And midway through the month, uh, the match of the day, two guys were saying. Well, that's that's goal of the month right there and then. Obviously, that's pending anything that happens afterwards, but not bad. Listen, we better. Well, it was, but I mean, we were, you know, we were sort of tearing their their defence pretty well to shreds in, in the first half and, and getting behind, and you know, we just uh, and actually one or two, you know, two or three shots up like Gilmore's, like the, both of Fatty's on target, and it was you know, one just. Thought we were playing really well, and it was doing that, and it and it did turn on a red card. But it, it wasn't just the red card; it was the fact that we lost our shape completely as a yeah. result of it. I think if Dunk had been there, and this is not a reflection on on the players playing in his position in any way, but if it, his extra leadership, I think, at the back, uh, I think would have helped. I mean, I mean, Gross is not a, you know, he's a good player, and I think he. He's quite a good captain, but he's a good captain in a, in a, in a different way from Dunk. More when yeah. we're going forward and playing constructively, whereas Dunk, I think, helps organise the defence. I don't think we would have lost the shape if Dunk had been there. No. And therefore, if, if, if we hadn't lost the shape, we might not have conceded the goal a few minutes later. Well, and all, you... it's, it, was, you know, it was just deflating. And yet I came away thinking that actually... Yeah, and for 70 minutes, we'd played well. Yeah. Well, that seems a good note to end on. So that's the end of the longer part one. In After the break, we have the shorter part two, where we'll be talking about um, the FA Cup replays, the other Premier League stuff, and some other news that's broken uh, recently. So we'll get on to that after this very short intermission. And so to part two of this delightful episode where we've reflected wistfully about the Amsterdam win, but also had to plod our way through talking about that one-all draw with Sheffield United. And it's a pretty frustrating draw. It's uh, it's given Sheffield United a point that uh, they'll feel they deserve, but which um, in the grander scheme of things, they shouldn't have got anywhere near, which is annoying. You know, I wanted to keep the whole 11 points record total uh, for the Premier League Scenario open, really. Derby will be disappointed with this, won't they, Peter? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think I mean, Derby was so bad that year. I think it's very hard to beat that. <laughs> yeah, truth, truth be told, yeah, I think so. Well, the Premier League, very quick summary. An incredible four-all draw between Chelsea and Man City. Chelsea actually looked like they played quite well. Uh, better, ironically, than the 4-1 thrashing they gave Spurs, where circumstances prevailed, I think, moreover. Um some other interesting games. I mean, Liverpool got their regulation 3-0 win against Brentford. I think they've won something mad like 49 out of 50 home... or unbeaten in 49 out of 50 home games or something like that in the in, in Anfield. I'm not sure if I caught that bit of information correctly, but there we go. But going back to Chelsea, there's been a bit of news that's broken this evening. Uh, the BBC have reported that Chelsea could face scrutiny over alleged payments connected to former owner Roman Abramovich. Um, the report, to just give the brief outline, it says um, uh, it's, uh, it's to do with a Guardian report. 
um, which has uh, suggested that the leaked files show that the Russian billionaire used offshore companies to make transactions worth tens of millions of pounds to agents and associates, which appear to have been for the club's benefit and could have breached financial rules if they were not officially declared. The revelations are likely to intensify questions over how Abramovich, who owned Chelsea for 19 years until he was sanctioned by the British government in 2022, funded a period of unprecedented success. And um, we've all known that they've overspent and actually caused the explosion in transfers over a large number of years. Abramovich now carried on by Bowley. It's the same old culture, really, at Chelsea, isn't it? Interesting that that's happening. And also to mention that Manchester United, subject to a, a takeover deal for many months now, um, two or three uh, cards on tables there, um, have now parted ways with their, I think it's Richard Arnold, his name, the chief executive officer today, This, uh, as we speak. This is, uh, what is this, Wednesday, isn't it? Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. So so both these bits of news are broken today. The two clubs, the two big clubs, as it were, who are clearly malfunctioning. They're clearly dysfunctional. They're clearly not uh, having any significantly healthy core structure to them in either case, and the, the, the scandals, the mess, the indecision, the seeming lack of focus seems to carry on with both clubs, doesn't it? What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I, I just want to express my surprise at what happened, that Abramovich would do anything dodgy or corrupt or anything like that. And I, I thought he was a full-on decent person, and uh, <laughs> I am stunned at any suggestion like that, and I think the Guardian should retract it, because uh, I can't imagine he possibly would have done anything dodgy at any point whatsoever, because people in Russia who make money always do it through legitimate means, don't they? And never do it through uh, yeah, exactly. questionable, questionable methods. I mean, to be fair, it is the Guardian. It was probably just a massive typo, probably. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. If you told me anything Abramovich had done while he was at Chelsea, I don't think it would surprise me. He, um, yeah, he... <laughs> he, he yeah, he pretty much bought the league a number of times. Bought them, bought them, you know, Champions League, bought them everything. Um, there was no attempt to stop, you know, to try and break even or whatever. And once the rules became became more you know, stern, I'm pretty sure he probably did do some stuff to get round it. But whether they actually get punished for it is quite another matter, though, because exactly. we all know that big clubs don't get punished for these sorts of things, whereas teams in the lower divisions get, you know, sanctions and you know they get like banned from buying players and that sort of thing whereas Chelsea and City and teams like that you know you don't hear again still about City's charges and all that it's all gone very quiet yeah exactly. I'd be very I mean, surprised if anything actually happened but either them or either of them or United or any of the teams ever a bit like pretty, referee decisions it's pretty retrospective at this stage isn't it because they're probably referring to quite a way back in time as well not just literally just when he left is it it's going to be further back yeah. uh, also on the matter of we're talking about the Villa Brighton axis in terms of Europe and stuff. And uh, I suppose the other thing we didn't mention was that the amount of money that Villa has spent. They've obviously got greater resource. They're a bigger club and everything, but they have spent a lot of money. And now we've got Newcastle, the other, which is my next subject. Newcastle, of course, have, uh, are technically the richest club in the world now uh, by default, by being Saudi-owned. Oh, sorry, um, something to do with Saudi, not Saudi-owned as such. Um, not the government anyway, Peter. Um, but No, definitely not. They've got oh, nothing not to do with it. <laughs> but they're playing a very sort of like a, a gradual game, aren't they? They're 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 actually running it quite sensibly. But it's interesting to note that some 
I don't I don't want to call them entitled, but let's call them entitled. Newcastle fans seem to have been moaning about the fact they got battered at Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth should have beaten them three or four nil from what I saw in the highlights. They're absolutely all over them. Newcastle do have a major injury crisis, but a load of fans were moaning at the ground and there was footage of Trippier, who I think was captain, uh, confronting some of the fans. Not confronting aggressively, I mean, you know, facing up to whatever their qualms were. You need to be quite careful there because the Saudis don't tend to take well complaints very well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, so reports of Newcastle fans having their heads um, disassociated from their bodies uh, without their permission could be premature, but who knows? That it. So it's all right if you, have, you give permission, do you? <laughs> yeah, you could. You could technically. <laughs> you could give permission. <laughs> well, coming back to um, the Chelsea situation, uh, the reality is that all the money that Abramovich spent, he didn't spend the best part of, of a billion pounds in the space of about 12 months, as the American owners have. Um, you know, I mean, that. so if, if he'd you know, been doing things that he shouldn't have done, um, that uh, it, it begs the question of how Chelsea are, are managing to do that. I know they've sold a lot of players, um, well, they've balanced yeah. their books because of the amortisation versus the immediate sale value of um, academy players is where they've made a gain there because they've got they've got several players they've sold who came through the academy, so it's pure profit, and it's, of course it's you, you can register it as immediate profit on your accounts um, by the fact it's, it's a sale that's agreed, whereas the amortisation of sales, uh, sorry, of purchases is where you can dilute it. Obviously, that doesn't work forever. But if, mind you, if you keep churning out youth players that you release, I'm just thinking of historically Kevin De Bruyne, Mohamed Salah, Livramento, uh, some guy called Tarek Lamptey as well. You know, there's a, there's an endless supply of players like that who they've sold. And obviously, they've sold a lot this summer. And that's where they've been able to reconcile their uh, their finances. But actually, Raymond, while you're talking about finances in relation to these these uh, big behemoth clubs, um, Man United, I mean, I don't know why the chief executive has left, whether he's had enough of it or whether he's been kicked out. I don't know. They're talking about consistency over a period of time. Well, he's been there 16 years and he's been kicked out or left. Whatever the reason, he's he's departed that's not very consistent, is it? And looking at their spending, since Eric Ten Hag has been at Man United, which of course was beginning of last season, uh, there's a, cat- a caption I've just picked up on here, which is only describing notable signings, so not all of the signings. Anthony from Ajax, £86 million. Quite frankly, that is a waste of money uh, as far as I'm concerned. I think he's massively overrated. And that's even though he's not rated, um, I think, um, as far as he goes. Rasmus... Yeah, similar views on you there, Russ, to be honest. Yes, he probably has, and he'd probably be right, yeah. Rasmus Hoyland, Atalanta, 72 million. Now, he's a 20-year-old. They bought him as the key figurehead. Principal first striker is the notion here. Very young for a player like him to be given sole kind of responsibility in that department of the field. Um, I'm looking at the fee, 72 million. Okay, you know, strikers, it is what it is. That's fine. But if you look at the others, Casemiro, 70 mil from Real Madrid. Mason Mount, 60 mil from Chelsea. Lissandro Martinez, 56.7 mil from Ajax. I think they, they paid over the odds. Andre Onana, goalkeeper, 47.2 from Inter. And Tyrell Malassia, 
from Feyenoord, 14.7 mil. That's 406.6 million right there. And there's other signings besides, of course. Have they markedly or indeed even slightly improved with those signings versus what what's drifted out the other way? Okay, you, you, you have to account for Mason Greenwood is an asset that's now basically spoiled. But apart from that, their situation. Well, well what are we talking about here? Right, uh, sorry, uh, Peter. Well, I think I think they have definitely improved. I think before that they lost four one at Copenhagen, so they probably you know they've definitely improved in that sense. And they are, as their fans keep gloating about online above us again now. So you know that's that's what they were aiming for when they spent that money. I mean, even despite uh, money, how the hell are they as high as they are? And the same with last season and the season. They before. keep sneaking one nil wins and. I mean, yeah, they, beat, kind of, they beat Fulham 3 0. No, 1 0. One all draws. So that's the difference. We sneak one all draws and they sneak one all wins. But it's. Um, yeah, right. I think, I think as far as Arnold is concerned, I would have thought that um, uh, the, the takeover, that part of the conditions of the takeover is that the Ratcliffe will want to put in his own, own chief executive. They have been Lee Ashworth. Well, I would have thought that that would be. He's. he's, he's going to want to change and he'd probably want the, the change to happen before he takes it over so um, yeah, that makes a difference and, and it may well be uh, Russell that he is actually asking the Glazers exactly the question that you've just raised um, you know we're spending all this money on players but is it being sensibly spent and therefore the person responsible for sanctioning it perhaps is the person who who's the first to go um, but when you look at the money spent by these teams you know like Chelsea and United and you think how on earth have they spent this much money and not, as you say, not improved? You know, and we've, you know, it's incredible when you look at what we're competing against to be an eighth, which would be, as it stands, our second highest ever position. It's quite people, phenomenal. I know you said they're they're ahead of us still, regardless, but they should be with that money. The point yeah, is, absolutely. We they, made they a profit were... of 150 million this summer or something like that. But look they've, at the made, Manchester... they've made a net loss of about 200 million in the summer. Look at the, look at the Manchester Derby. They're a million miles away from Manchester yeah. City. And I know Chelsea have improved probably actually more so because they, who they've signed is probably better than what Man United have signed. Yeah, and also United were high, a lot higher up last season. Yeah, they came yeah. top four, whereas Chelsea came bottom half. Yeah, but Chelsea could do it in a one-off. But Chelsea are still a long way away from Man City. Man United are a million miles away from Man City. When you look at Villa and you look at at the moment Newcastle and you look at the Albion. We're in a we're, we're operating in a different sphere, and the fact we're roughly in the same area of the table as United is neither here nor there. United should be a man million miles away from us every season, every single season. So that's that's where that's but, how you but, us versus but, 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 them. not whether we're ahead it, of them or not. I think with the, the Chelsea's and the Manchester Uniteds, um, it's a question of ego, and uh, I say, yeah. say that yeah. because I think it's uh, um, when you have. A lot of egos trying to get them to work as a team is much harder. We go for people who aren't as well known, don't cost so much money, and they don't sort of uh, come in and say, "I've got to be in the team and I, I'm undroppable and this type of thing." Sort of attitude. And the, not an e- uh, not initially uh, anyway. They might know afterwards. And, and, and we play we play as a team, and I think even with. Newcastle, because they haven't had that success recently, even if they spent big money on players, that the players realise this is a team that has got to get somewhere before for it, so that they they come in with a different mentality into the team 
and realise that it's teamwork that's important. Um, it's, I think it's the same in, in the acting profession. I mean, you could cast probably most films and plays with any number of people who can play the parts equally well. But if you want to sell the tickets, then you you have Judy Dench or you, or you have um, Rafe Fines or Joe Fines or whoever it might be in the cast to attract the audience to come and watch in the same way that Manchester United, if they buy a, a, a player for a lot of money, uh, it sort of satisfies the fans. Oh, you say, oh, we bought this player and it's cost 70 million. So yeah. there's a certain amount of spending money to, playing to the crowd. Yeah, I, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Raymond. But, I think uh, Bloom, Bloom, Bloom is not stupid enough to do that. But it doesn't work for the Glazers. Everyone still hates them. Yeah. And the Chelsea fans aren't that big a fan of Bowley. I was going to say the other one that we, were, we were, people were talking about a couple of weeks ago, there was a discussion on WhatsApp group whether Tottenham were real title contenders. And I said well, I said once about whether Madison or Son gets injured, they will be in real trouble. And also then no. obviously Van der Ven <laughs> getting injured as well. I mean, yeah. when you've got De- Eric Dyer as first backup, and you've got like basically yeah the players they've got to alternate between from Madison they they're not they're nowhere near ready. And is Madison kept for the season now? Uh, I thought it was till Christmas at least, but oh, I'm not sure yeah. if it's the season. Okay. Um, I was going to say Raymond. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Your point about egos, I think that is a massive. That's the dividing line, isn't it, between clubs like us and clubs like like the the real big five or six, whatever you want to call it. Also, if you're looking for someone who wants to act the goat, I'm the man. I, I can act the goat all the time. <laughs> um, but moving moving things on, if I may, because I um, we'll, want we'll to keep it tight here. Um, just a couple of other points I wanted to talk about. Raymond, you're going to talk about the book in a moment. Um, we'll come to that in a second. But just to summarise the weekend a little bit more, a couple of other bits to talk about. Crystal Palace losing, bless them, in a five-goal thriller. Yes, I did say five-goal thriller. And yes, I am talking about a Sean Dyche game. Uh, yeah, they lost 3-2 to Everton. Bless their cotton socks. They did actually, I think, got a bit harshly treated with Eze's second penalty claim. I do think that was a penalty. Um, but oh well, oh dear, never mind. Um, FA Cup, there's been some replays after the first round. Um, Sussex involvement, the Lardy Army. And now you've got to love these guys. We've been to Horsham, Peter. The, the Lardy Army weren't that prominent when we went there. Um, I think there was a flag there, I do recall. But apparently they've got a tradition of putting. Um, what they call tubs, I, I still call them packets of lard, on top of the frame of the dugout of the away team at certain prominent games. So we went to a Horsham-Worthing game. I suppose that wasn't prominent enough. But, of course, they've got a big cup match, a replay against Barnsley, with whom they drew the first leg 3 all, which is an incredible result. And um, They had them back at um, at the, uh, the what was it called? The Camping Community Stadium. Um, something like that. Something like that. They've got their mascot in their, their green and yellow, plonking tubs of lard, slabs of lard, whatever you want to call it, on top of the, the dugout. They've got loads of people dressed up in green and yellow with um, bucket hats on, uh, called the Lardy Army. And they're singing, um, oh, I forgot what the song was. Um, I, can't, I can't remember it now. It was quite funny. Damn, that's that's annoying. I can't remember. Anyway, great occasion for them. They had a 3,000 sellout. It sold out in nine minutes. Unfortunately, Barnsley repeated the three-goal thing Horsham didn't. It was a 3-0 defeat, which is a bit of a shame. And it wasn't a good night for Sussex because Eastbourne lost 3-0 at home in the league as well, the National South. Worthing, well, they did score three goals, but they still lost. They lost 3-4 or 4-3, whatever you want to call it, at home to Dartford. So not a good night for Sussex teams. 
But the FA Cup in general, loads, there were no real shocks to speak of, but loads and loads of early goals. Nearly every replay had a goal in the first four or five minutes, and a couple of them had goal, two goals within 10 minutes. So some entertaining nights. Um, in Crew the, with, did win a derby, which is a bit of a shock. Who's that? Crew did win at derby. Yes, yeah, 3-1, wasn't it? Yeah, I think. Yeah, which is an interesting game. It's a little it's bit a of a shock, game. but yeah. I mean, it's only one division, but Crew are doing quite well this season. And it's just occurred to me, as we speak tonight, Wednesday evening, that your local yeah. team is playing your other local the, team. CVPM are playing against Charlton, yeah. CVPM, is that is that what we're saying now? I just can't be it? asked to say Cray Valley Paper Mill every time. Well, they've got Cray Valley... No, they've got... Um, what do they say on their thing? I think they said... Um, yeah, Cray Valley PV, isn't it? A uh, PM in yeah. brackets. Yeah, Which, Paper Mill, so... So it purely is an abbreviation because I was wondering when I was looking at whenever I see Bradford Park Avenue listed in any anything, it's got PA as in brackets. I wondered if it was some sort of weird name, but it, no, it's just or was it just that Cray Valley only play in the afternoon? <laughs> well, for what I remember, Bradford <laughs> oh. Park Avenue's ground used to be one of the ones with the largest uh, capacity for an audience. Yeah. Well, more importantly, can I just repost to Peter's pun there? Because I, I I, actually have some restraint, unlike you, Peter. I had the opportunity to pun the hell out of something that Raymond was saying. He was talking about TNT, and I thought, uh, yeah, we should have blown them away. Yeah, or well, explosion. I yeah, I was thinking well, similar well, as well. I, did, I thought no. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I thought similar at that time, yeah. <laughs> right, on to the final subject. Raymond, you and I had the delightful pleasure of well, speaking before, to you. Done it. Oh, hang well, on. We're going to talk about the Brighton women as well before we go on to... Oh, yes. Sorry, yeah, let's talk about that first. Al- Albion women won at Man City one day at the weekend. One win. Our first win, and hardly anyone. With a goal from Jensen Min, isn't it? That's her name. Uh, yeah, great result. First time we've beaten City since we got promoted. So, yeah, really good after a de- decent performance at Chelsea and a... And, uh, uh, you know, where we, where we are leading for a while and then a really good draw against United, although we should have possibly arguably won. So win at City was brilliant. So, yeah, but, I mean, Albion could be called Alamo instead, I think, from here on in after that game. But you know, who cares? It's a bit like the Chelsea game, but I think with extra spice, isn't it, in terms of winning one yeah. nil? Amazing result. We're up to eighth out of 12. We're comfortable now at the moment. And um, I think there's some yeah. improvements. There's a long way to go. And we do. Yeah. Still- that resource by by comparison, but um, uh, we are um, I think we're we're getting there bit by bit. Melissa, Ford yeah, doing a good job, isn't she? The the other interesting results at the weekend, which I saw, was Leicester two, Arsenal six, where Leicester were two up at half time. Yes, have <laughs> a great second half. I watched, yeah, I watched, uh, un, unusually I watched the women's highlights and I did see that and I did think, blimey, two 0 up, this is interesting, and no. In the end, it wasn't, apart from the I think it was like 3-2 in about 10 minutes of the second half, and then Arsenal just blew them away from there. But yeah, it's definitely a game of two halves. It was on TNT, was it? Uh, <laughs> right, I'm about okay. to answer that, and then I realised that you just like made the pun you made a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, so I've just done the same thing twice. Oh, never mind, never mind. Well, we're coming on to the final subject. Raymond, I briefly muted you because there was some background noise. So if you want to un- unmute yourself... And while you're doing that, uh, we'll just introduce the last element, which is Phil Dunnett, who we had on uh, a few weeks ago talking about a new book he's written about Albion Strikers. Uh, That book has now uh, been released. Um, For Seagulls Over London members or anyone that wants to be a Seagull Over London member, we've got a Kieran Maguire evening coming up. 
in a couple of well, in, yeah, a couple of weeks' time. Um, if you want details, look on the website seagullsoverlondon.com. You can sign up, you can join, and come along. And he will be signing, I think, some copies of his book. That's what we're hoping will happen. Either way, it'll be an interesting evening. But we're also going to bring along Raymond, aren't we? Some copies of Phil Dummett's book. Uh, sorry, Phil Dennett's book. Um, would you like to describe again for anyone that didn't hear the episode, uh, the uh, book in brief? Yeah, I mean, Phil's uh, written a couple of books about, uh, to do with Brighton, uh, one on Charlie Webb uh, and the other on Tommy Cook. And this is the sort of third one to do with Brighton football. Um, it's called The Gold Kings of Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, Top Legends uh, Scorers, uh, um, Atwood to Zamora. And uh, the, all the, the players who have scored 50 or more goals for Brighton in the history of the club are featured. Um, so not Billy Payton then. <laughs> and uh, for those coming to the Seoul meeting, there's a, a, a small number that have... Uh, that we have that are being sold at a, a small discount, so as opposed to being £20, they're £18. They're, they're going fast, I should say, So, but there are half a dozen left uh, for those who, who come to the meeting and uh, sort of full details uh, it will be available at that time. Uh, and so uh, it's, I think it'd be a good read. And I know that Phil is is you know, looking or begins to think about another project, again tied up with Brighton. So, and I'm hoping he's going to actually embark on it. But of course, it will be another um, eighteen months, probably, so possibly two year um, sort of project. Uh, it, it took him nearly two years uh, this one, and uh, I think it'd be a good read, good, um, good present for the Christmas for uh, for people. So uh, do do it, and you know. All sorts of people that one, one or two one hasn't heard of. I hadn't heard of Atwood, for example, until relatively recently, um, who is, is quite a legend and uh, uh, statistically uh, arguably our best scorer. So um, Atwood, maybe yeah. the highest. But you know, I think there's a, a lot, a lot in there, and I think it will become a reference book because it's something you can dip in and out of, it. and it's not just about the one player. So um, delightful guy, Phil. Um, his grandfather uh, actually played a couple of times for Albion in the beginnings in the sort of about 1903 or so, um, when the club was still playing at the Hove County Cricket Ground. Uh, so he has ties with the Albion going way back uh, from a family viewpoint. So uh, the Gold Kings of Brighton, Hove Albion, uh, by Phil Dennett. Yeah, we're hoping that's going to be available in the club shop. It's probably available online in various outlets i'm sure if you just google it i'm sure you'll be able to find out how you can uh well, uh, you can... i mean phil is hoping he's actually uh it hasn't when i last spoke to him uh which was uh on on tuesday of this week uh he's talking to watterson's and uh he's hoping that they're gonna uh sort of come in but he hadn't actually uh, finalized uh, sort of dealing with them at that point i know that uh, the club are looking at it for the bookshop uh, for the, the, the club shop, he's been in touch with Paul Camlin on that. So uh, you know, watch that space. But uh, in the meantime, uh, if you do it, and even when we've sold out on these uh, launch uh, price copies, uh, if anybody does want them, I can uh, either arrange one or, or put 
the, the individual in touch with, with Phil directly. Yeah. And either way around, if you are a Seagulls Over London member or thinking of being one, come along to the event. We've got it on the, uh, I think it's the um, 27th of November, isn't it, Peter? The event? Uh, Monday before I, I uh, before Athens, basically, which, yeah, I think it's really done. Yeah. yeah. So so come along to that. It's at the uh, Horseshoe Pub, that one, isn't it, in Farringdon? That yeah. Is it? Yeah. It's in, the city. in the city, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. near Farringdon Station. That's the nearest <laughs> station to it. Come along, buy beers, read books, drink beers. <laughs> what fun! What well, unless you want to buy them for me and I'll drink them instead. That'd be awesome. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on that note, any other business? I think we've covered everything, haven't we? Guys? Any other business? Every... <laughs> well, I, I, I think I, I don't know how many players these days are. Uh, Alvin players are playing internationally, but it seems to be a growing number all the time. So uh, yeah, well, Lewis Dunk, of course, is. he's pulled out of the English. Played on them get injured. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Pascal Gross has been called up to Germany in recent months. The game and and uh, well, yeah. I mean, in general, and and Paulo, um, sorry, um, Joao Pedro has uh, is now involved with the Brazil team. So you know, more and more internationals. It could could get better and better. And that's that's Pedro's first call up, isn't it, for the. For the Brazil senior squad, it is, yeah, indeed, and we wish him the very best. I mean, yeah, in more... fairness, I don't think the Brazil senior squad tend to focus on the championship for their uh, scouting. <laughs> and uh, actually, there was one uh, one report I read that was, um, so a journalist in in Holland was absolutely gobsmacked. Apparently, that uh, Van Heck hasn't been called in. To... Yeah, I, I am as well. I'm really the surprised Dutch, to be honest. The Dutch one. Like, who's better? Who's a better defender? Maybe Van Dijk. Who else could you talk about who's a better defender than Van Hecker? It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. In, in well, other he's, news, playing, he's playing well. I can understand him not being in the starting 11, but why not actually have him at least in the squad? Yeah. In, in, in other news as well, Lionel Messi recently got the Ballon d'Or for the eighth time. Three ahead of uh, Ronaldo. Oh, poor Ronaldo. Um, but why the hell was Mitterman not given it? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, guys, let's wrap it up until the next one. We'll forget all about Sheffield United. Uh, we've got an international break. Then we're away at Forest and other games. Uh, Chelsea away and Brentford are home coming up. We'll no doubt have some features around those coming in due course. Don't forget that book as well, Raymond, uh, which is by Phil Dennett. And it's called, what is it again? Just one the, the Gold Kings of Brighton and Hove Albion. And Fantastic. actually, just, just one comment for, for the way. We're going to be hugely busy watching the Albion, all of us, of course. And we've got after the international break, we've got eight games in 27 days, which means basically we're playing a match about every three days. Wonderful. Just what we needed with this injury crisis. <laughs> on that on that cheery note, thanks for leaving on a on a, on a high. Uh, thanks, thanks, Raymond. So, Peter, Raymond, stand or fall? Up the Albion. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.